This episode of Kiwi Rider Podcast is brought to you by the new GoPro Hero 12. With high dynamic range, 5.3K and 4K video, upgraded HyperSmooth 6.0 video stabilization, and an industry-leading 177-degree field of view with the Max Lens Mod 2.0, this is a pretty good camera. We've tried the GoPro Hero 12 and the images are stunning, so if you're keen to capture the best of your summer riding, pick yourself up a GoPro Hero 12 and be a hero. Thank you very much, GoPro, for sponsoring this episode of Kiwi Rider Podcast. And welcome to Kiwi Rider Podcast. My name is Ray here and great to have you along. This week we're taking a little bit of a chill from our usual programming. This week we're bringing you some audio that was recorded at a uh, Motorcycle Awareness Month event at the Upper Hutt Mo- well, New Zealand Motorcycle Centre in Upper Hutt. It is Sergeant Peter Sauter. Now Peter Sauter you might have heard, might have heard on the podcast before. He's a member of the New Zealand Police Serious Crash Unit. He's seen some stuff on the roads around New Zealand that would make your hair turn white. And he's got the facts as to why motorcyclists crash on our roads. Now, this is um, a presentation that he gave to people in the room. We filmed it. It's up on the Moto NZ YouTube channel if you want to see the visuals. I understand there are parts of this that rely heavy on the visuals. So do check out the Moto NZ YouTube channel if you want to see the visuals. But um, sit back, relax. It's a long one this week. And if you've got any feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Email me on t7adventuresnz at gmail.com. Otherwise, take it away, Sergeant Peter Souter. I got into the police... Well, actually, I joined the Ministry of Transport in 1988, um, and then four years, because I wanted to ride a motorbike. The reason I joined the Ministry of Transport rather than the police was because they said I'd get, they'd give me a shiny BMW to ride. It ended up being a Yamaha, but I was happier than that, because the R80s were pretty much crap at that stage. Um, but, yeah, I rode a, rode a bike for four years around this town. My first posting was to Upper Hutt, and so from 88 to 92, I was here in Upper Hutt, going up and down the Rumatakas every Sunday morning. There was a fun ride going up there. Some guy pushing it into the corner and this bike comes up the inside of him with a white front guard and he, oh fuck, it's the Rosa. Um, and I used to stand at the top at the, at the lookout and watch the guys cut the corner coming around the hairpin there where they, they've cool put the cutting through there and I'd say, there's another one. And then the end, they were pulling them in to get tickets from me for being on the wrong side of the road going around a blind corner. It just used to be a, a good thing to do was to be, get up there and, and not so much get the tickets out but to be seen up there. Okay, because there was time back there in the 80s where guys were just unintelligent, riding like idiots, treating like a racetrack. Uh, second fatal crash I ever went to was on the MOT, and it was a young guy who crashed on the, on the Matukas. Uh, now, he would be a better rider than I could be in terms of his ability to lean the bike over. You go over look at my FTR over there, it's still got chicken strips on it. He had worn right off and was taking the lettering off the sidewalls. He had that, ride, that bike leaned right over. But what happened when things went wrong? There was no margin of error. And he slid, and he hit a concrete culvert, and they don't forgive. He was a very, very fast rider. And I have been to fatal crashes involving very good riders who make simple mistakes. And I love watching the, you know, the, the, the um, 500 GP bikes, but they crash. Rossi and co crash, and they're a lot better rider than I am, but they've got things going for them, like runoffs and sand traps and padding around entire walls and no cars coming the other way or trucks coming the other way. So, that's how I got into um, doing this. Um, in 92 I moved to um, Taupo because I wanted to take my family up near where my family was in um, the Waikato and Bay of Plenty. And from 92 through to 2008, 2009, I stayed there. And basically from that point on, I was running, well being the serious crash unit for Taupo. Other, had some other guys work with us and then I came down here to take on the job as a serious crash sergeant in charge of the crash unit here. 18 months ago I moved from that position to a position at Police National Headquarters and now I'm writing and teaching and doing the training for the next generation of crashies coming through. So taking what I've learned over the years and applying it to there and my, my, my one desire for 2024 is I redesigned entirely the motorcycle crash investigation course because I look at what people are, are trying to achieve 
in crash investigation for motorcycles, if they don't ride a motorbike, I do not understand how they can even begin to understand what happened in a crash. If you're a rider, you look at things a different way. And one of the first things I do when I come up to and I look at a, at a motorbike that's been in a crash is I look, particularly if it's got a chain, I look at that chain and I look at those sprockets. And that tells me a lot about the person. And I have seen some pretty dry, pretty rusty, pretty shitty chains and some very lumpy sprockets that don't have any points anymore. And that just tells me that maintenance is not a big thing for them. Anyway, let's move on. So a little bit of history. 1905, Alfred Price was the first Kiwi who was killed in a motorcycle crash. He was involved in a late night incident with a train in Dunedin. He fell off his motorcycle and died. And they never actually confirmed that he hit the train or the train hit him. Things haven't changed a lot. There's still those crashes that happen where we, we, we struggle to understand what happened, okay? Because there just isn't the evidence there. What we do is we seek to determine the cause of the crash. Okay, so we're only interested in what caused that crash. We do not look to attribute fault or blame. It's really hard for us as police not to go down this road because generally we're called to give evidence in court in a judicial sense, which allows a judge to decide guilt or innocence. So we have one foot in that camp just with all the time and, and a lot of guys have both feet in that camp. And part of my training is to tell them to get their foot out of that camp and to get back up and just look at cause. Now the cause might be that the guy's riding like an idiot at you know, 150 k's, has a blood alcohol of 250, and the bike hasn't been warranted or re registered for the last five years, and it's just a piece of dung. That could be the cause of the crash combined. But we don't, let's not worry about blame. We can just list those things. Intoxicated, too fast, and poor maintenance. Those are the causes of the crash. It's subtle. But if we can get to that point, then we're getting away from just pointing the finger at people. It's a challenge. If we can determine the cause of a crash, so this is the why, why do we do this? If we can determine the cause of the crash, we have a greater chance of preventing it. If we can figure out that there's a problem on a particular stretch of road because of a surfacing issue, and if we can see a pattern developing of crashes happening, then we can do something about it. And I'm sorry to say, for those of you that have to go over the Haywards all the time, that we're probably responsible for all that crap roadworks you've had to put up with for the past two years. Because halfway down that hill on the other side was a corner, and within four months we had two fatal crashes that were absolutely identical. Car heading towards Porirua, went round the corner, lost it on a road that had poor surface, went sideways and got T-boned. Two identical crashes. Second one, I called the guys from NZTA out, and they said, you've got something wrong with your road here. They went, no, 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 there's nothing wrong with the road. And I'm not blaming NZTA because they rely on us to give them the information. So I went and got my straight edge out and put it out from the center line across to the fog line. There was a four inch dip here. It had just slumped. That bank was slumping into, this, into the creek on the outside of that corner. And of course the car was going around hitting that and it was offsetting the suspension. And it wasn't everybody that crashed. You just had to be at that right point in the wet row with a greasy surface and the guy maybe pushing it a little bit on the corner with stiffened suspension and she would, he lost it like that. Sideways, T-boned, and that's not a good collision to have because you don't have all those crumple zones working for you to absorb that energy. So two people died within, I say, within five months. Once they saw that, they then had to redesign the whole road and stick a crash barrier down the middle because if you're gonna spend that sort of money, you might as well do the whole hog. Didn't wanna do it, but they had to, okay? So that's the sort of thing we're doing. How we do this? Newton's laws of motion. This is the sciencey type stuff. We work with those all the time. Newton's laws of motion are basically if something's at rest and it doesn't get touched, it's going to stay at rest. Okay, I call that the teenage law. If you've got a teenager on the couch, unless you kick his ass, he will stay on that couch for the next seven days. He's not going to move. Next one, if you can get something moving, it will move in the same direction and at the same pace unless it's acted upon by, any, by some other force. So you think of something in space that gets Throwing, it just keeps going and going and going and going. Okay, here on Earth, we've got a constant force on us, which is gravity. So if we throw something, it'll go and then it'll just start dropping. It starts dropping from the moment it, moment it leaves your hand because gravity's acting on it. And then the third one is when a force acts on it, it will move things in the direction that that force is acting. 
and if the force is great enough, it will increase the rate at which, it's, which it will move it. And you think about a motorcycle versus a bus, we generally don't push buses backwards. They generally push us backwards when we hit them head on because they've got more mass, they've got more force, so we go backwards, okay? But if we hit a pedestrian, they go and we keep going forward. It's just, a, it's just forces. This is direction and application. By looking at how things end up, we can slowly bring them back to where we think they collided, okay? And then we look at speed and calculations, okay? Figuring all this out requires us to find evidence on the road, okay? So we're looking at the road and looking for evidence. As I say, road surface plays a big part for motorcycle crashes because you've only got two points of contact, unless you're popping a wheelie, in which case you've only got one point of contact, but generally you've only got two points of contact. So it's less forgiving of surface errors or surface degradation than a car which has four points of contact and larger surface contact areas, okay? So you can have one wheel running over a piece of bleeding tar, but you've got three wheels holding you in place. Whereas if you do that on a motorbike and you're heeled over and that front wheel hits the wrong spot, down you go. So look at surface, road layout, visibility markings, and the weather plays a part, okay? We look at vehicles, we look at the mechanical condition. I've already talked about looking at bikes and what they're doing and, and how they are. And, and um, one of the things that's really, really hard to get is working out tire pressures. Because generally in a decent collision, the front wheel or, or a wheel takes a big bang. And that, that, but if you've got the bike, sorry, if the bike's gone down and hasn't hit anything majorly, but there's been, a, it's surprising number of times we will check the tire pressures and find that they are way out, okay? And one of the things you'll learn on, on the Ride Forever course is that you should be checking your tire pressures regularly, okay? Not just guessing and going, feels right. I actually got talking to the guy from Pirelli um, who did the um, Shine Side Up with us two years ago. And he was saying that he'd come across a number of cases where guys had gone on the bike after a winter, got on their bike and ridden, and of course everything feels a bit, you know, cobwebby to begin with because you're not used to riding. And, but anyway, they'd ride, particularly where he was in Christchurch, they'd ride over the, the port hills and ended up at Akaraa. By the time they got coming down the other side and going to Akaraa, they felt really good. Cool, so they'd stop, they'd have lunch, get back on the bike. Now their skills have improved because they've had the practice. So they'd go up, get to the first corner, put the bike into the corner and the bike would just... Because what actually happened was at the beginning of the ride, their tire pressure was low. By the time they got to the top of the port hills and coming down the other side, because of the rolling resistance and because of the friction of that tire, tire pressure had increased. When you stop for lunch, your tire cools down again. Your tire pressure goes back down again. Now you are better than the bike and you push it into the corner at what you think is the appropriate speed and the bike goes, nah, sorry, my tire can't handle that anymore. How many people have got the tire pressure monitoring systems on their bikes now? It's the best thing in the world. I don't have it. Dee's got it on the Chieftain, um, but Dee's always asked, how often do you check the tire pressure? And she says, never. Why do I have a dog and bark myself? I check the tire pressures because I want to make sure that we're both safe. So we check the tire pressures. This is a bit here. Who did what and why and who did it? And this is the area that is most concerning to us. So the scene, the surface, the road layout. You know how we talk about crap roads? Responsible for less than 5% of our crashes, okay? Vehicles. And Peter talked about it before. In years gone by, we had leaking sumps and all that sort of stuff in our cars. Most cars these days are pretty oil tight, aren't they? You know, the, with, with, with the computer engineering and all this sort of stuff, the, the tolerances and everything are really, really tight these days. You know, it's nice to see the old British bike in the background there with the oil tray underneath it. I mean, that, that just brings back memories. That's the way it should be. Modern bikes, not so much. So you do some maths pretty quickly. Guess what's responsible for most of our crashes? Us. We will get safer roads when we take all the drivers and riders off them. So what you would have to have is order, you'd have to have the computers running the system. And that is something that they are looking, forward, looking towards for the future. Automated vehicles. You get into your Uber and it won't be women, some guy from Bangladesh driving you, it'll be a computer. I just updated this yesterday. I actually just updated this morning because the last fatal for, the, for 2023 just came in overnight for a guy that died in Rotorua, Hamarana. Um, this is what kills us. Motorcycles failed to take a corner. 250 people have died in 13 years. 
Whanau to take a corner. That is 39% of all those fatal crashes for 13 years involves us failing to take corners. Sobering stuff, isn't it? Guess which one we're worst at? Left or right? Left 23, right 16. Think about it. If you fall off on a right-hander, you tend to just go off into the ditch. Now, unless you're unlucky enough to hit a power pole or a tree or a rock or something big like that, okay, you're going to get up, you're going to dust yourself off, you're going to curse and swear, you're going to look at the damage to your bike, your mates are going to pull up, you're going to try and fix the gear lever or the brake cleaner and what have you, you're going to ride on. But if you go around a left-hand bend, where do you slide? Across the road, in front of the logging truck or whatever. And it's generally something big and unforgiving that hits you. Motorcycle just loss of control. Now these are ones I had to sort through because there's some weird ones in here. But this is loss of control basically not involving a corner. So this is on a straight and just going off into the ditch. This is on a straight doing some stupid things. There's, some, there's, there's a couple of weird ones in here like guys standing on the seat. Uh, wheelies come up quite regularly, guys getting wheelies wrong. Uh, but there's some weird ones, you know, just, just going down the road and then just drifting off not paying attention what they're doing. 22%, 138 people. Overtaking, 14%. I would suggest that some of those have come from those. Overtaking and then still got the noise on and something. And as you come back, you're then going off the road. But it is what it is. Motorcycle fails to give way, only 4%. But then there's our favorite one that everybody talks about, the Smidzy. That's the other vehicles, that's the other cars and trucks and what have you, found to give way 18%. So we're still not even, we, we talk about the, the, the tin tops and we talk about the, the cages taking us out, we're not even as good as our own loss of control for them. And there's an element in here where people fail to give way to us because we approach intersections faster than they expect. It's not, I'm not saying, again, I'm not coming back to blame, but there is a, there is a certain... You know, there's, there's a problem for people with perception for motorcycles because they're used to seeing cars and cars are this big when they're too close for me to pull out. A motorcycle is only a third of that size. That means the motorcycle must be a long way away. Small object is equated with distance. Big objects are equated with being closer. So they make a bad, they make a bad judgment call. It happens. It happens to motorcycles too because here, and I've read some of these ones, guys are pulling out with trucks coming down on them. How do you miss seeing a fucking truck? Sorry. So I'd like to focus on two areas, cornering and intersections, okay? So we go, to, we go too fast into left-hand bends, we cross the center line and we hit a vehicle coming the other way. Well, that hurts, and it's always gonna hurt. Don't care who you are, how brave you are, how good a rider you are, you hit something, you're doing a 80 k's going this way, you hit something, 60 k's going that way, that's a combined speed of 140 k's, and that's gonna hurt. Or we run right on right-hand bends and off the road and we hit a tree, posts, fences, rocks, and it's weird. The files I was looking at, I actually started going to Google Earth and looking at the places. And you know what? You've got a section of road which has got like one power pole every 500 metres. And guess what they hit? You know, 500 metres of clear space to fall off on, and then one power pole, and then 500 metres. So, ever heard of a thing called target fixation? It's true, it happens. They discovered it in the First World War with fighter pilots strafing the enemy lines and they actually flew their planes, the biplanes, into the ground. Because they were looking at what they were shooting at, looking at where they were going, and they just went straight there. You lose depth perception, you lose all sorts of things. Corners are what makes riding, I mean, does anybody disagree with that? I love corners, yeah? I hate straight roads. Cornering requires skill for everything. It requires skill from the rider and everything on the bike to be working as it should be. Okay, you need decent suspension, you need decent tyre pressures, you need decent tyres. You know, we just changed the tyres on Dee's Chieftain because they were getting squirmy. Um, you know, at a certain point, they get to a point where they're just too old. Okay, and because we live here in New Zealand, where bikes sit out in the sun, we've got the highest UV rating of the, of the world, and the UV just cooks those tyres. They go hard. The one bike she had, the bike she had before the Chieftain, which was a little 650 V-Star Yamaha, it had tyres on it that were seven years old, seven, eight years old. And they were like nylon. 
The only other thing I can put it this way, they just didn't hold in the wet. In the wet, they just turned into a skate. They just slid all over the place. And she can, if you talk to her after, she can tell you about a ride up Coromandel where she, yeah, she was swearing at me the whole way. I'm glad they didn't have the intercoms then. So you need the tyre, everything we set up for the tyres and suspension to do the job. That makes sense, doesn't it? Going into a van too fast can and clearly does result in the driver freaking out, and then they focus on the hazard. And I think that's one of the reasons we run, run wide. We go off to the left or off to the right. Because who hasn't gone into a corner too fast? I mean, I, I, who has gone into a corner too fast? Who's had that moment where you go in and you go, oh crap, <laughs> oh, did that say 35 or 25? I mean, I did it not that long ago, and I mean, I've ridden the road so many times, it's ridiculous, but just coming across the twin bridges of the Bumbleton coming from Featherston. And I don't know what I was doing, I was away with the ferries, and I came in and I went, and it's, you look to where you want the bike to go, you relax, you lean the bike over, and if everything you've done prior to that has worked, and it went around the corner, no problem. Because I don't run, I don't ride 10 tenths, okay? I always leave a margin for error, and that's why. And it happened to me not that long ago again. Going around a corner, and I'll go into the corner, and I went, oh crap, that said 35, and I'm set up for a 65. It was one of those corners where you come up to, you come up the crest of a hill, and then it just veers away to the left, and I just had to just relax and look. And don't look with your eyes, turn your freaking head and look at the, where you want to go, and the bike went round. FTR could do it. It's whether the numpty sitting on top of it could, could, could make, could, could relax enough to let it do it. That's why you need to talk to Peter over there, Peter number one, because he will teach you how to relax into those situations. How to set yourself up so A, you don't go into those situations very often, but when you are in those situations, what to do. And I can remember, sorry Peter, but I will talk about Ross from Two Ball Bikers. As soon as that happened, Ross was just, I could hear Ross's, Ross's voice in the back of my head. Relax, look where you want to go. And it went. Fantastic things, modern bikes. Why do you think I've got a bike that's got ABS, traction control, and lean angle sensitive ABS? I could wash some speed off if I wanted to, but I looked there and I didn't even go over the centre line. Dee was going, ha ha ha, because we're into come now, so she's going, ha ha ha, you went in too fast. Because she could tell. <laughs> We attend numerous cases where the rider either locks the rear wheel or leaves no evidence of braking at all. What's going on there? They've got themselves into a situation where all of a sudden what's dominating their head is, oh, oh fudge. And they either make the wrong decision or they don't make a decision at all. And I've seen it with cars, I've seen it with motorcycles quite regularly. They either don't make a decision because they just can't compute what to do or they make a bad decision. How many people here drive cars? How many people here drive trucks? Okay, what do you, how, do you, how, do you, how do you slow down in a car or a truck? A lot of people do that when they get into a, into a panic situation because they're so used to driving a four-wheeler that they'll brake with their foot. And again, an examination of bikes, and I don't want to be hammering on anybody else because I'm now into cruisers, but Harley riders are particularly bad where I can see rear, a lot of wear on the rear brake disc and the brake calipers and the front one looks like it just came from the factory. Like it's got freaking, you know, six millimetres of material on either side of the thing and, the, and the, the disc looks like it's never been touched. And I've spoken to guys who survive crashes and they say, well, we'll never touch the front brake. You'll crash if you touch the front brake. What's it there for, cosmetics? I mean, it looks nice, yeah, and it's shiny, but 90% of your braking power's there and, and in some cases, 100% of your braking power's there. Now, I've gone into a corner with the rear wheel off the ground so what's braking am I getting from the rear? Nothing. That was in a racetrack and in a controlled environment, but that's what you've got to do. So ideally you should enter the corner from the correct position so you can see through the curve, allowing you to avoid any hazards, rocks, trees, sheep, a goat. There's a goat out to Ford's whatever the road to nowhere. Yeah, yeah. They actually had, was a 15k corner? The only 15k corner I've seen signposted for 15k's. And you have to do 15k's because there's a bloody goat in the middle of the road. <laughs> so you're allowed to avoid any hazards and choose a line which will not place too much stress on your tyres and suspension. So the bottom line is, you can do a lot on bikes. You can put a lot of pressure on those tyres and things, but you've got to do it smoothly. If you suddenly put that load on like that, it'll let go. Whereas if you increase it gradually, it will take more than you think it's capable of.
and you'll achieve things and you go faster and you enjoy it. So if you arrive at a corner too fast, suddenly you're trying to keep your heart from jumping out of your chest. I've experienced that. As I say, big thing you've got to learn to do is just relax. Trust the bike. You've also got to look for a way to get around the corner. And suddenly all those ditches and, and banks and, and things, you suddenly start looking at them. If you look at them, that's where you go. So you don't. You look at the road where you want to go. And that is not intuitive. That, that is a trained response. That's something that you've got to go over and over again and just train yourself to look, to come up to a corner and not just go and keep your head straight and use your eyes. You've got to turn and look to where you want to go. And a simple thing like just moving your head changes your entire body English and changes how the bike will respond. Am I talking the right stuff, Peter, or am I talking crap here? Yeah. So there are solutions, relaxing and looking where you want to go is, rather than where you don't want to go is part of the solution. As is being smooth, control and both braking acceleration. Intersections, let's talk about those. These are places where vehicles often change direction or cross your path. Okay, intersections commonly include side roads and let's not forget driveways. Everybody forgets about driveways but they are intersections. Every single driveway is a potential intersection. Okay, a vehicle turning right is going to cross over the opposing lane to get into that driveway or into that side road. Interestingly, Worldwide, intersections are where most crashes for motorcycles happen. Okay, now that might sound different to what I told you at the beginning, but where are most of the intersections? In town or on the highway? There's far more intersections in town. Thankfully, the speed limit in town generally is slower. So what happens is we get more injury crashes. Not great for ACC, because they've got to pay out for the, the, getting the people back on their feet and what have you. But generally, that's why they don't feature so highly in the fatal statistics as they do in the injury statistics, okay? Because generally, the intersections are further spaced apart out on the highways, so. But anyway, seeing another vehicle in the intersection should be a trigger for you to be very wary and alert for the possibility of the vehicle moving where you didn't expect it to, okay? Indicators can lie. Who here has seen a fellow biker riding down the road with their indicator still on? So if we do it ourselves, how can we expect tin tops to do it, not to do it as well? Okay? Don't trust them. Dee will tell you that I spend a lot of time on YouTube looking at crash videos. Why? Because I'm a sick bastard. Um, but the number of times we've looked at videos and you'll see a guy on a bike, particularly in the States, and he comes up and, he, and there's a car stationary at an intersection and he goes whizzing past it and as he gets to this point, this car turns across in front of him. And he couldn't see the car because this car was blocking his view of that car. And guess what that meant? That this car was blocking that car's view of this motorbike. And he's got a stationary car saying, where you go? And the motorbike comes whizzing past him. If you can't see, don't assume that it's going to be clear. Okay? As what I was saying before, yes, there's a lot of smidsies. Sorry, mate, I didn't see you. That's what smidsy means, by the way, if you haven't figured it out. Most of you should. Sorry, mate, I didn't see you. But there's a lot of riders who come into intersections way too fast so that when the guy says sorry mate I didn't see it, it's too late and when I say too fast I'm meaning above the speed limit and some poor beggar goes to court and gets charged with careless driving causing death because he should have seen the guy coming and it's not until the speed gets way over the limit that the courts will start going, well, you know what, maybe we'll give you a break this time because that motorbike was going way too fast. These days are pretty harsh on, on, on drivers who don't give way to motorbikes. But that's poor comfort if you wake up in hospital with an arm missing or a leg missing or a shattered knee or what have you, not to realise that you, know, you could have saved that by just slowing down a little bit. So approaching an intersection should be a situation where you cover your brakes, even reduce your speed slightly, and if there's a vehicle there, consider what the driver's doing and whether they're showing any signs of having seen you or what they're going to do. If you don't know what they're doing, why are you speeding towards them? Why are you going to increase your speed to go towards them? Why aren't you thinking about them as being a danger? Because they're bigger than you. They might be uglier than you. They might be in a horrible thing like a, a Demio. They might even be in an electric vehicle like a Prius or something but it'll still hurt you, okay? So check your speed and your alert level. Who here has heard of Dan Dan the Fireman? Again, YouTube, he's a guy in the States, he's an acquired taste. 
But I like him because he's an EMS, or he used to be an EMS, he's retired, he now does writing instruction. And, and he, he has this thing that he puts, it puts out, which is this, the stages of rider alertness. And he talks about how you should be riding around. So white stage is you're totally zoned out, you're unprepared, you're just, and we've all been there, I'll put my hand up, I've been there, but like I say, I came, into the, came across the Twin Bridges, into that corner, and I'm like, oh crap, I'm at the corner. I mean, it's not difficult, I've done this road a hundred times in the last year alone. I'm prepared, okay, so there's nothing going on. The lights are on, but nobody's home. Yellow is where you should be riding all the time. Okay, you're relaxed, you're prepared, you're aware, you're assessing what's going on. You've got good situational awareness, you're zoned in. So you're just running through the things. Again, if, you, if you, you're just looking at things, just assessing things. When you see something of interest, i.e. a car at an intersection, or a car coming up to an intersection on your side road, or a car that's coming towards you that suddenly the indicator comes on, you should go to orange. You should be going, whoa, what, what happens if this guy does what I don't want him to do? So now I'm starting to think. You perceive the threat, so now you're ready to act. Red, that is when she's all on, okay? That car started to turn. That guy suddenly in front of you has just hit the picks because he suddenly realized that his turn off is there. You've got to be on high alert, you've got to be able to take action, okay? You've got to be able to do something to save yourself, okay? Brown is a panicked reaction, poor choice. There's a total breakdown of physical and mental conditions that what we saw from those braking, for just using rear brakes and what have you. You're not thinking this through. And generally, it ends up in a bit of a shit show, which is why it's brown, okay? So just think of this as, as the way you should be, and you should be constantly going from there to there, there to there, 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 And it's not a biggie. It's just the way you do things. You ride along, you assess what's going on around you. You know, occasionally I get zoned out, and occasionally I'll hit the picks because I want to do something like that. And occasionally my wife, who's following behind me on a 650-pound woman chieftain, is going, what the fuck? But she's got ABS, and she learns how to use it. And she can stop that thing on a dime. It's because I've zoned out. I've gone into that thing, and I'm not aware that if I do hunt, suddenly hit the picks, she's, up behind, she's behind me. We've got a good following distance, but she's not prepared for me to do that. And which is stupid, because we're intercommed. Hey, we just missed that turn off. I'm going to have to go down the road here and do a U-turn. I don't do that anymore. I think I did it once or twice before she threatened to do things to parts of my anatomy that I really were quite fond of. So encountering a slow moving vehicle is for some an invitation to overtake. I've been there. What's this Muppet doing in front of me? I know what I'll do. Chuck it down a gear or two, open the throttle and I'm gone. Cool. What happens is as you chuck it down and you open the throttle, the car turns. I've dealt with Four fatals in Wellington of that. The last one was New Year's Day 2019. The guy pulled out to overtake as the guy turned. They both did the same manoeuvre at the same time, but because the motorbike is accelerating so much faster and because the guy as he's wanting to turn is slowing down, guess what happens? Your speed differential just goes and he just ran out the rear of the, rear of the, of the ute in front of him. It's just one of those things. You're not supposed to overtake going through an intersection but I don't think the rider realised it was an intersection. But it was, with a signpost and everything. Consider what he's doing and why he's slowing down. Why is he slowing down? For an extra five seconds, let him do his shit and get out of your way, or you know what he's doing, and then you can go around him. Rather than assume that you know what he's doing and suddenly find that you've got it wrong. Because in any collision between you and a tin top, you're gonna come off second best. Sorry. Forces, law of mass. Overtaking a vehicle is making a right turn generally ends poorly for us. Ask yourself what that vehicle in front might be blocking you from seeing. So what's the big deal with speed? I'm a cop so I've got to talk about speed. All too often the crash reports I read indicate the rider could have avoided their fate if they just had a couple of seconds longer or a few metres more in which to brake. Okay? But they didn't. And so their situation ended up on my desk and me writing a big long report about it for a coroner. Sadly, there are numerous examples I can mention involving riders running wide corners, locking up the rear wheel, emergency, and we just looked at a couple. The question is, why does this happen? Even if you're highly trained and very alert, what you need in an emergency is time and distance. Those are your two friends in any emergency situation. 
as much of both as you can get. Okay? Some rather unfortunate facts about speed are this. Speed affects energy. Okay? Based on Newton's laws, as speed is increased, the amount of kinetic energy increases. It's just, I didn't make the law up. Some guy sitting under a tree got hit by an apple made it up. Okay? That's the formula. Kinetic energy is equal to half the mass times the velocity squared. And that little sucker there will you up big time. Okay? Let's say we've got a BMW R18. I quite like the look of those things. I think they're quite cool. 345 kilogram and a rider at 90 kgs. You know, it's felt like me. <laughs> In my dreams. <coughs> so 435 total. And he's travelling at 50 kilometers an hour, which is 13.8 metres per second. If I do those calculations, so that's my half, times the mass, times velocity squared, I end up with kinetic energy of that many Newton meters. Okay, cool. This is boring, move on. What happens if we increase the speed to 100 kilometers an hour? Let's do the same calculation. This is now 100 kilometers an hour, 27.78 meters per second. That's your kinetic energy. Anybody notice something about those two numbers? This bottom number is four times bigger than that number. And it's because of those little suckers. Because when you square two times, two squared is four. Okay, simple. Okay, how does this work in the real world? More kinetic energy you have, the longer you're going to take to stop. Okay, so let's talk about that. So the energy increases four times when we double the speed. Guess what will happen to our stopping distance? Anybody want to guess? I'm hearing four times. That's the formula for working out stopping distance. So from 50 kilometers an hour, it's going to take about 14 meters and a little bit of loose change to stop. That's 100 kilometers an hour. Guess what? Four times. Okay. That's all very fine. Well, that's all very ethereal. Let's put it into a, well, into a scenario. Let's say you're riding your bike at 100 k's. You're minding your own business when suddenly something up ahead catches your attention and forces you to brake. Okay? Be it a stock truck, be it a herd of cows, be it a tree that's fallen down the road, whatever, I don't care, okay? You've decided you've, you've got to stop. Emergency braking time. So this is you, zooming along. The decision takes on average 1.5 seconds. That's an average, I mean there's, there's, there's plus or minus, but we're just using a number because of this. Which means you're coming forward at 27.8 meters per second for 1.5 seconds, that's 41.67 meters. Braking takes you 56.19 meters. We've got to add those two together because you went, oh gosh, I've got to do something. Then you do it and now you're stopping. And guess what that adds up to? Almost 100 meters. And that is the distance between this goalpost and that goalpost on a rugby field at 100 k's. That's a fair distance, isn't it? So where should your awareness be pushed when you're riding on the open road? Way beyond that car in front to way ahead. Way ahead. Okay. So next time, you're driving on 100 k's, you cover almost 100 metres of the length of football field, rugby field in order during your perception response times. So that ends up being... And all this assumes that you are alert, sober, and skilled enough to get the most out of your brakes without dropping a motorcycle. Now you may have noticed before I used 0.7. A skilled rider could get more braking power from a motorbike. But even most skilled riders in an emergency situation will not get above 0.7 from braking. It's just not something we train ourselves for. I would be pushing to do 0.7 on a cold ride. Just, just poof. I can do it now because I've got ABS. When I had the Bandit without ABS, had some interesting times. But it's just we've done testing and testing and testing and testing and testing. And if you ask people to do an emergency brake, generally they don't use all the brakes that are there. It's not a trained response. Again, Peter can teach you how to brake. Ross took me over to the wire wrapper on a shitty wet day, found a nice stretch of tar seal that was all bled over, and had me using the bike and locking, not locking, but using the ABS, getting the ABS activated on the, on the FTR. I'm glad I've got a brown seat I cover on that bike. Because in all honesty, and Dee was doing it as well on her Chieftain. <coughs> she was out braking a Ducati. Because he couldn't bring himself to brake that hard because he was scared of locking the front wheel. She just trusts the ABS and she just, once, once, once she's got it progressive, she just grabs a handful. You can beat ABS if you're really good. But most of us aren't really that good. 
if we were doing it like maybe Peter could do it because he's, he's riding all the time. He's using his bike all the time. But for us weekend warriors, it's just not something that we're realistically going to be able to do. It's got to be something you practice. It's got to be something you train for. It's like us with firearms. I loathe the amount of time I spent at the police college training with firearms. But you know what? If some guy's shooting at me because I've gone to an armed defenders thing, I want to be able to send little bits of lead towards him as quickly as possible. And when one of those things jams, I want to be able to go tap, roll, rack, and up again as quickly as possible without having to think about it. And that's what you want to be doing on your motorbike. You don't want to be thinking about, now what did he say about braking? You wouldn't be just doing it instinctively. You've got to get it from up here to basically in your heart, an instinct level. So you have to practice it, you have to do it over again. And we don't do that regularly enough. Memory. Muscle memory is what we're talking about, absolutely. Let's just quickly go through this. Let's reset the whole thing, and now you're doing 120 k's. It's not an unrealistic speed for most people. You've got the same PRT of 1.5 seconds and the same braking capability. So want to guess what the stop, total stopping distance will be this time. Okay, 130 meters, and a little bit of loose change. So it's only 30 meters more, but you were stopped back there and now you've got to go 30 meters further, further down the road. Which, if there's 30 meters left for you to go, is cool, but, so you're going 33 meters past where you were supposed to be. Hopefully there's 33 meters. How fast do you reckon you're going when both bikes are side by side and this one's stopped and this one's ready to carry on the, the extra 30 meters, 33 meters? How fast do you think he's going? Anybody want to guess? 30Ks, 50Ks? 55, let's work it out. So this is your 33.2. Yeah, 21 miles a minute per second. Guess what that is in kilometers an hour? That's 77 k's. And it's only a 20 k difference at the beginning, but it's a 77 k difference at the other end. Because you've got to factor in you travel further before you react. Because you've got to travel a bit further. So, this is, this is, this is it here. That's 100, there's 105. The difference is 37 kilometers an hour. When that one stopped, Still doing 37. Here's our 77 down here at 120. At 130, by the time the guy there stopped, you're still doing the speed he was doing when he started. That's only 130. Um, those figures are red because basically, they'll kill you. Anything above 30 kilometers an hour into something solid will do nasty things to your aorta and internal organs. Anything above 50 and you're toast. Like I say, it's, that's why speed's so important, okay? Speed affects everything, you, everything affects the time you have to see and respond to any hazard. It doesn't alter the time, it just chews up more of it because you're going faster, okay? You still have the same amount of time, but you're going to travel closer to that hazard in the time it takes you to make your decision. The faster you go, the less time you have to see the hazard, the first thing, and decide on action to avoid it and react to it. Now we've shown through testing that the faster you go, the more you get tunnel vision. The less your peripheral vision just disappears. It just disappears. You start focusing in on what's happening in front of you. So what chance have you got of seeing that truck coming down the side road? If you're down under the tank doing whatever speed, you're just not going to see it, are you? You're focused. So that's it, guys. I'm not telling you it's a speed, I'm just telling you what the, what's going to happen if you do. Okay? And I'm just telling you that you can do things about training. About training and getting yourself, A, you've got those, those five stages and you really only want to be using the four of them. Okay, you actually really only be using the three of them. You want to be using the, the yellow, the orange and the red. Okay, you don't want to be riding in the white and you certainly don't want to go to the brown. But appropriateness is what, what it's about. And certainly when we're in a, in a busy situation in town, definitely not the place to be speeding. Too many other people around, too many other variables that you are not in control of. So, you know, taxis, I almost, I almost T-boned a taxi. Not that long, well, when I say it was a couple of years ago, out of the airport. He looked at me, smiled, and pulled out on me. And, and I'm sitting there going, and I'm braking, and, and that was the one where I was actually had the bike standing on the front wheel. Because when we stopped, it went clunk back down again. That was on the bandit. And I, had a, and I had a pillion passenger on the back as well. So that was how hard I was braking. That's how hard I'd loaded that front brake up. And another coat of paint on his door and I probably would have been scraping his door. 
But he just, he, he looked at me, he smiled and he carried on. I don't think he even saw me. I think, I don't quite understand. Is anybody, is this just a man thing? Who has gone and through the drawer, opened the drawer, looking for the scissors, can't find the scissors, said to your significant other in this day and age, where are the scissors? And they said, in the drawer. And you go, no, they're not in the drawer. I've just looked. And they come across and they open the drawer and they somehow secretly get the scissors in there to pull them out. Yeah. Has anybody else had that happen to them? Yeah. What I think sometimes happens is we condition ourselves to look everywhere in that drawer except where those scissors are. When you come up to an intersection as a driver, you're looking everywhere and there's 80 metres of clear road and 20 metres of clear road, but there's two metres where there's a motorbike. So I've got a, almost 100 metres of clear road, but only two metres that, worries, that should worry me. But I focus on the clear, not the, not the hazard. And I think sometimes we precondition ourselves to look for the, the gap rather than look for the, the hazard. It's, that's my personal theory, because I can't understand. Sorry? He, well, he smiled. I don't know if he was smiling at me. He, he smiled, and, 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 and that may have been my, my uptake on what he did. So he may have looked up and gone, Yep, it's cool, I can go. I used to ride every day from work from Karapiro into Cambridge along State Highway 1. And you come down and there's two bridges at the bottom of the hill. These days you go up on the, on the expressway. We used to come down across, the, there's a bridge that goes to Leamington this way and there's another bridge that takes you up and takes you around to where I was working in, in an industrial area. And every morning somebody would come off the bridge, look at me and just go. And I'd have to brake and let them in or, or adjust my speed. And then one day this guy looked at me and he went, and then I just saw him change. And what I didn't realise is, because I'd rolled off, because I always do for that, and the logging truck had snuck up behind me, and he was now about five metres from the bedroom, and he, so he saw the motorbike, and then he saw the truck. But his first reaction was for the motorbike, yeah, it's kind of cool to go, and then he realised how close that truck was. Because um, the 80k starts around the corner, but who slows down for that these days? So yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's, there's, a, there's a whole psychology that we need to get into for drivers. And then, you know, I've got Kevin Williams' book. Uh, Kevin comes out to do Shiny Side Up, and he talks about that. And unfortunately, in terms of the high-vis vests and things, the orange, I've got orange, I've got yellow. The best colour, pink. This is the most unusual. You're just another road cone. Just like me, I've got, I've got orange as well. You're just another road cone. And yellow vests are all over the place. Pink stands out because it's different. The worst colour for camouflage in the bush, Police issue blue. Nothing in the bush is blue like that. But we've, we've had guys who shoot each other in the bush. You know, hunters. Out there sh and, and guys wearing camo gear, but bright orange camo gear. Saw a deer, could see the, the, the rear end of a deer. I shot the deer. Bright orange hat. If you look there, look, if you're looking for a deer and you see movement, you'll probably see a deer. Oh, look, so uh, there's a whole heap going on and yes, but, but, but my message to you is that over 50% of all fatal motorcycle crashes, there's no other vehicle involved, okay? Just a motorcycle. Didn't hit another car, there's no other car involved. So we can, we, can, we can halve our chances of having a fatal crash if we look after ourselves and we take care of our, our own business in our own house. 75% of all fatal crashes, we motorcyclists bring something to the party. And when I'm talking about the, the, the speed coming into an intersection, yeah, the guy failed to give way to you, but you're now going too fast. You're doing 75 instead of 50. If you're doing 50, you probably could have just slowed down, let the guy go, give him the fingers and carry on. But you're not, you're gonna go into the side of him because you're going too fast, okay? But 75% means that there's only 25% that we can't do shit all about because they're the other guys, but we can do the rest for ourselves. We could reduce our chance of having a fatal crash by three quarters if we just tidy our act up. Now I'm not saying don't have fun, we have fun. But start thinking about those, those stopping distances. The faster you go, you better have your eyesight way out there. You better be aware of what's going on way, way, way up there. And the other thing of course is that how many guys have gone and that, that car up there, oh, it's got those little red and blue lights on it. Oh, so what was your awareness? Here you are doing 100 and whatever, and there's a woman cop up there. You never saw him. <laughs> so hang on a minute. Don't blame him. Your awareness should have been such that you realised, hey, I don't like the look of that white car up there or 
these days are red and they're blue and they I don't like Skodas anymore. <laughs> hey, we used to have a purple Holden. Used to catch everybody in Taupo. Nobody picked a purple Holden. It even had a Barney in the back window. <laughs> Barney to the back window. Yeah, skiers overtaking us on, on, the, on, on, on the Tihoi Road. It's actually really interesting because uh, the 35 to 55 demographic is basically the majority of people who are riding bikes. Younger people do feature in statistics because they don't have the skills, and older people do feature in statistics. In fact, there's quite a few of those that I think guys are just dropping dead on the bike and the bike falls over. Um, it happens. Those, those are the ones that you see straight line and just drifts off the side of the road. Don't, don't get me wrong, you know, and, and we try and get the, them written out of, the, out of the books because they're medical events, but we can't prove it. Um, but you know what? I don't want to point the finger at any particular age group because I think we're all just as guilty as everybody else. Uh, you know, try, trying not to use, uh, it's wrong. We're all, we all bring things to the party. And it doesn't matter if you're 60 or 40 or 24, there's stuff you can do, there's stuff you can learn. And now if you're 24 is the time to be learning it so that it'll serve you good in years to come. But if you're 60, like me, you need to be brushing up on those skills. As Peter said before, every time I've done a gold course, I've either, I don't learn too much anymore, but I relearn it. There's stuff I forgot. There's stuff I was taught in the MOT by my instructors in the MOT. Um, but the best thing, as I say, for, for, for braking is practicing your braking. Who's got ABS in their bikes? When was the last time you activated it? Good girl? Yeah, you should be activating your ABS regularly. Okay, just to, just to keep that pump going and to, just, just to keep, make sure everything's... And, and just to get the feel for it. My wife cut through a front tyre, just, just practising ABS. I mean, it's a big bike. It's 650-odd pounds of bike, and she's... Yeah, so she needs, she needs to be able to practise those braking skills, as do I, as do us all. Thank you very much, Sergeant Peter Souter. That uh, was recorded at the New Zealand Motorcycle Centre in Upper Hunt. Thank you very much to those guys and, of course, Upper Hunt City Council. And Ride Forever, it was recorded during Motorcycle Awareness Month. If you want to know more, I I'm aware that a lot of that is... Um, it relies heavily on the visuals. We did film that and it's up at the Moto NZ YouTube channel. But uh, I, I think it's a message that a lot of us need to hear. This is Kiwi Rider Podcast. My name's Ray Heron. Thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate it. If you want to get hold of us, email me, t7adventuresnz at gmail.com. Check out the website, motonz.com or the YouTube channel with a new video up, at least one new video up every week. Um, YouTube uh, and go search uh, Moto NZ. Kiwi Rider Magazine. The magazine is out absolutely free for you to read twice a month. It's a digital offering and it's available at kiwirider.co.nz. Otherwise, keep the upside down and throttle on and we'll catch you in seven days' time. This episode of Kiwi Rider Podcast is brought to you by the new GoPro Hero 12. With high dynamic range, 5.3K and 4K video, upgraded HyperSmooth 6.0 video stabilization, and an industry-leading 177-degree field of view with the Max Lens Mod 2.0, this is a pretty good camera. We've tried the GoPro Hero 12 and the images are stunning, so if you're keen to capture the best of your summer riding, pick yourself up a GoPro Hero 12 and be a hero. Thank you very much, GoPro, for sponsoring this episode of Kiwi Rider Podcast.